Well, please take your seats this morning. Great to see you in church. What a great place to be. I kind of like being in church, which is really handy if you're a pastor. It's great to be here today. We continue on with our, um, our month's topic. We're looking at the vision of the church. And uh, today I want to talk about being a community of unity. Being a community of unity. I came across a good little quote during the week as I was preparing. Uh, normally a person I wouldn't quote from, David Spangler, who is a, a new ager. He's a, he calls himself a spiritual mystic. But uh, I wouldn't normally quote from this, but this particular quote that he said, I thought holds some merit and it uh, got me thinking. He said this, some people think that they are in community, but they're only in proximity. Uh, that's interesting. True community requires commitment and openness. It is a willingness to extend yourself to encounter and know the other. I thought about that during the week. I thought, is Capital Edge Church, is it a community of unity or is it a community of proximity? Are we just in the same location, in the same environment every now and again, proximity, or are we in fact a community of unity? And if we are, what does that mean? And so we're going to talk about that today and we're going to have a look at the passage of Scripture that I think is the uh, most profound passage of unity and community in the Bible. And so if you've got your Bibles here um, or you want to open up your apps, turn to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, a short psalm, a concise psalm, but a psalm that is very, very important. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Version. Um, because I just uh, think it explains some of the truths uh, that, that may not be fully represented in other translations. So reading from the Amplified Version, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now, before you start thinking, I'm only addressing the males got to represent the females as well, that this verse written in its historical and cultural context was written to the priesthood, the Levites. And so they were the males of the, of the process. And so I want you to understand today that uh, this also reflects not just the men in the house, but also the females in the house, just in case. I'm getting that covered right at the front. Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil of consecration poured on the head, coming down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron, coming down upon the edge of his priestly robes, consecrating the whole body. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down on the hills of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. What a great psalm. 
An incredible psalm. The psalm's message here is incredibly clear. What a community of unity is and the blessings that come when we actually operate in that unity. That's what the psalm's all about. If we were to put this in modern day terms, this is what it would say. What happens when the church actually operates as the family of God? What happens when we operate as the family of God and and what blessings do we see resulting from that? So we can learn a lot from this particular psalm. So let's talk first about what is a community of unity? What does that actually mean? Well, there's three key words in the very first statement of this psalm that tell us what a community of unity is. It gives us the ideal, what it should be. And those three key words are this, brothers, dwell and unity. So let's look at those words as we build an understanding this morning of what a community of unity is. First, that word, brothers. I looked up this original word for brothers, and it's actually used in terms of a literal relationship, a biological relationship. So the brother that it's talking about here is an actual biological brother. That's what it's saying. When brothers, that's how close this connection is. It's not talking about the brother that you see wandering down the road and they smile at you and you sort of know them. You say, sup, bro. (laughs) It's not talking about that. And it's not talking about many years ago in, in the Christian faith when we'd come to church and we would greet each other and we would say, oh, hello, Sister Janine, how are you today? Oh, hello, Brother John, how are you? No, we're not talking about that. We're actually talking about a literal brother, a relationship. We're talking about family. Family, how good and pleasant it is when family family. The first thing we must remember about this church community, it is the family of God. It is the family of God. Ephesians 2.19 says this, so now you Gentiles, that's you and I, you Gentiles are no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Aren't you glad this morning you're a part of the family of God? Romans 8.15. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, a adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father, or as the translations, other translations say, Abba, Father. That means, friends, that we belong to the family of God. That means that our church community actually carries the name, the acceptance, and the authority of our God. Think about that. That's pretty incredible. You see, our name means that there is a certain way that we live. There is a certain way of living that upholds the honour of his name. It means that our acceptance is the fact that we can boldly approach the Father any time that we want because we are his children. It means our authority 
says that we can stand in absolute assurance and absolute certainty in who we are in Christ. That to me sounds like something powerful. That to me sounds like something profound. You see, as a church community, we have to start living in the power that we have. We have to start living in that power, being the head, not the tail. You know, we, we aren't a gypsy family. We're not the black sheep of society. We're the sons and the daughters of inheritance in God. We are held in esteem and we are loved by God the Father. We're not weak. We are strong. We're not insecure. We are bold. We're not confused. We're conformed to the image of Christ. We are the powerful family of God. That sounds too powerful this morning. Yes, brother. Yes, sister. That's better. We're the family of God. I don't think we operate in the strength of what that means sometimes. We are the family of God. Our church community is not weak. It's not a wimpy organization full of desperate, needy people. That's what the world would like us think of the church. It's the powerhouse, family of God, where every member of the family united becomes this dynamic influence that can change the world. The next word is dwell. I looked at the meaning of that word dwell. It means to remain. It means to make full habitation. But this is an interesting meaning of that word. It means to marry to marry, to dwell. You see, we're not just a family. We're a family who remain together. We're a family who love to be each other. We're a family that's married to the mob. We're all here together. We belong to each other, which also infers another characteristic of the church, and that is that it's the bride of Christ. We're the family of God. We're the bride of Christ. You know, when we read scripture, we can miss a whole bunch of things. It seems like Jesus did this and then he did that and then he did that. But sometimes it's important for us to ask, well, if he did this and then he did that, what happened in order for that to take place? I think it's important to ask those things from time to time. You see, Jesus didn't just go to church with his disciples on Sunday. He didn't just sit down every now and again and uh, teach them Theology 101. There's a whole bunch of stuff that took place outside of some of those passages that we have. He discussed important things. He mentored. He modelled how to live. He he ate and he slept and he laughed. He travelled. He hiked. He fished. He sailed, he cooked meals, he set up various experiences so that they could learn some stuff. He encouraged them, but he also reprimanded them to bring correction when they needed it. He told yarns, he told parables, he had holidays by the beach in Caesarea and went swimming with them, I'm sure. He did life with them. You see, Jesus dwelled with them. They dwelled together. They dwelled together together together. Together. You look at the establishment of the 
first church. On that day of Pentecost, we read about that, the establishment of the early church. The first infilling of the church was the Holy Spirit. The first mandate of the church was to share the gospel. The first result of the church was salvation and baptism. But I want you to listen to this. The first function of the church, the first thing that the church did was they dwelled together. Acts 2.42 says this, they joined with the other believers. They dwelled together. In fact, if you look at Acts 2.42 to 47, let me give you a summary of what happened in the church. They joined together. They devoted themselves to teaching together. They fellowshiped together. They shared communion together. They prayed together together they met constantly together they shared their possessions together they worshiped each day together they met in each other's homes together they ate together they celebrated together they praised together they enjoyed each other's company together and it finishes off and each day the Lord added so they grew together friends that's a lot of togethers for five verses together they dwelt together. I just want to remind you of something this morning, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. You see, a community of unity is a family who dwells together. We dwell together over the last few years and I guess since COVID, I've seen many who have neglected meeting together. It started out as a church being a once a month obligation and then becoming an every now and again option and now it's not even a consideration. I guess we've all seen that over this last three or four years. I've had people say to me when I've rung them and found out and discovered, hey, are you guys still with us or are you guys still going to church somewhere? And they admit that they're not going anywhere. They say something like this, listen, I, 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 still, I still love Jesus, but I've got problems with the church. I still love Jesus, but I've got problems with the church. And in my mind, I, I think this way, how can you love Jesus but hate his bride? How can you be married to the Saviour but having an affair with the world? Dwelling, dwelling, dwelling together. And then the third word is unity. In fact, other translations use a different word. Other translations use the word harmony. And I actually think the word harmony is a better word. Because when we think of Unity, we often tend to think of uniformity. In other words, everything being the same. Everything being exactly the same, the same expression, the same look, the same everything. Cookie-cutter Christianity. And that's why I like the word harmony that's used there in other translations because harmony is the complementary expression that enhances the whole. That's why I've got no problems with denominations, provided they preach the gospel. 
I've got no problems with denomination because it is the harmony of different expressions that come together to make the whole. I've got no problems with that at all. Harmony is the blended mix of all of our gifts and expressions to make something beautiful. You see, a community of unity doesn't just express one note. It expresses a harmony of notes that blend to make a symphony. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 12 says. But God made our bodies with many parts and he has put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. You see, for our unity as a body, and I want you to hear this clearly this morning, for our unity as a body, your gift needs to be expressed in relationship with my gift. Our gifts together need to be Express. It's the combination of all of our gifts in operation together that makes the church something extraordinary. So, a community of unity is a powerful family who are enriched when they dwell together and express their unique gifts to benefit the whole. That's a pretty good definition. So what does that mean for us as individuals? What does that mean for us at Capital Edge Church? I think there's a number of things that we need to consider. Are we a family in ongoing relationship or are we casual acquaintances that see each other every now and again on a Sunday? Do we actually stand in the authority as sons and daughters of God or do we not? Are we regularly meeting together for fellowship or just doing the optional church thing? Are we using our gifts in harmony with others to express true unity or are we focused on just our own little ministry? You know, I've, I've seen many people over the years that have gone from church to church to church to church to church just chasing the use of their ministry. Friends, may I say that's not the body of Christ, that's an artificial limb. I'm going to be a hand over that church. I'm going to be a, a foot over that church. I'm going to be a leg over. That's an artificial limb, friends. We're meant to be the body of Christ. We're meant to be dwelling together in unity in the richness of the expression of our gifts that make all of that happen. You see, if we get community of unity right, there will be incredible blessing that flows. You look at this psalm and it shares a number of different blessings that come from a community of unity. The first metaphor used in this psalm is of the priests being anointed. And we see a couple of blessings there. The first blessing is consecration, where the oil of consecration is poured upon the priests. You see, there is a setting apart. That's what consecration means. There is a setting apart of God's holy people. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that he has set us apart as his holy people for a purpose, a holy purpose. 
That's why community of unity is essential to the vision being fulfilled. Because it's a setting apart for purpose. And then it talks about the anointing, how the oil of anointing runs from the head down Aaron's beard to the priestly robe. And it's talking about this oil poured out, this, uh, this anointing running down. It's all encompassing. It covers everything. From head to toe, friends, isn't it great to be in a church where we can be guaranteed of the anointing of God on everything that we do? Everything that we do, what a blessing that is. And then there's the second metaphor in this psalm. It talks about Mount Hermon and it talks about the Jew of Mount Hermon. I researched and had a look at that word Jew, D-E-W. I looked at that word and it actually means it's symbolic of redemption. It's symbolic of resurrection. It's the picture of the Jew that settles down upon the mountain. You've got to remember Mount Hermon is this fertile mountain in the midst of a desert, surrounded by a desert. And it talks about the Jew of Mount Hermon. It's a picture of the rejuvenating waters. It starts out as Jew at the top and becomes flowing waters down the hill. A Jew, a, a rejuvenating water that brings life to the dry desert around it is what it's talking about. You see, community of unity brings life to what was dead. We bring life to what was dead. I think there's testament today in this building of people who were once dead and lost in their trespasses and sins, but have been brought to life. They're new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has begun. Praise God. Are there anyone? Is there anyone here today that is a testimony of that? What a blessing that is, the resurrection from death to life. But then there's also the blessing of transformation. You see, this mount, Mount Hermon, was the mount of transfiguration. Where Jesus went up that mountain. It speaks of transformation by the Spirit of God. You see, a community of unity helps people grow and mature and transform into the image of Jesus Christ. Do you know that I need you and you need me to be more like him, to be more like Jesus? It's that transformation. What a blessing that is. And then the third metaphor in this psalm is the metaphor of Zion. Zion means Jerusalem. In fact, it means more than that. It means the, the topmost parts, the hills of Jerusalem. And so Zion refers to the place where Jesus was actually lifted high. But that place was a place of crucifixion. But it was also a place of exaltation. See, a community of unity knows what sacrifice is, but it also knows that when Jesus is exalted, he will draw all men to himself. John 12, 32, Jesus said, When I am lifted up, speaking of the cross, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And the blessing that is part of this community of unity is this, that 
we will see people saved. We will see people drawn to Jesus Christ. What an incredible blessing in being a community of unity is. And it goes on and says that there the Lord commands a blessing. Other translations use the word pronounce a blessing. There the Lord will pronounce a blessing. In other words, the blessing is obvious. Imagine being that kind of church when people walk past and they hear what we're doing in here or they come in and they see what we're doing and they say, I don't know what it is, but that church has something on it. That church, has, that church is blessed. It seems like everything that church does turns to gold. Why is that? It's the blessing of God. It's the obvious blessing. It's that blessing that, that, that it's as good as done. That's what it's talking about here. There the Lord commands a blessing. It's as good as done. He said it, therefore it is. It's as good as done. Wow. Imagine living under that blessing. And it finishes with the words, life forevermore. You see, there's an eternal purpose that plays out in a community of unity. You actually sense and you know that God's will is unfolding, that what we're doing is for a kingdom purpose that what we're doing is not in vain friends what we do for the Lord is not in vain there's blessing abundant blessing as we operate as a community of unity remarkable blessings but I want to keep it real this morning it's kind of a theme For this year. You see, what I've shared is the ideal. Everything I've talked about this morning is the ideal. But we don't always see this in the body of Christ, do we? See, the truth is that sometimes we see division, and sometimes we see fighting. We see jealousy and backbiting and we see arrogance and selfish ambition and empire building. We hear gossip and judgment and cynicism. We see and hear a lot of things that are far from a community of unity. And so the question is this, in keeping it real and all, How do we get back to that place where we're a community of unity? How do we get back to that place? And I just want to share with you three phrases and we're done. How do we get back to a community of unity? Here's the first phrase. True unity only exists where Jesus is glorified in our praise And the Holy Spirit is allowed to direct in our hearts. First phrase. Second phrase is this. True unity only exists where people live in humble obedience to God's Word and the Spirit's leading. 
I hope there's something in your heart that's saying amen this morning. And here's the third phrase. And this, I think, is where the rubber hits the road. True unity only exists where we love each other and honour each other and our essential value to the whole. So is a community of unity an ideal that we possibly can't get to? I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. In fact, here's a thought. True unity starts by knowing God, Becoming like Jesus, making a difference. 